Lincoln, Nebraska, January 20th, 2022. The following statement was released today by the hosts of Scarlet Fever, their personal representative and business manager, Grant Hansen, located in Lincoln, Nebraska, in response to questions about future podcasting plans. We're back. All right, folks, welcome back to Scarlet Fever, and in case you didn't know what the intro was, uh, that's a parody of Michael Jordan's return statement. Now, not to say we're Michael Jordan, certainly not. I can tell you I am much less skilled on the basketball court, but one thing is certainly true about the comparison. We are back here on Scarlet Fever after winter break, and we're so glad to be uh, rejoining you here, Grant Hansen, alongside... Landon Wirt, and we have a ton to talk about today. There's a, actually a lot that can happen in the course of like six weeks. Who would have thought that would happen? <laughs> I mean, I mean, there's certainly not at a place like Nebraska, right? <laughs> I mean, there's there's no controversy ever here. Uh, it is all smooth sailing. But a uh, lot of things, a lot of things happened while we were away, including a uh, basically complete uh, filling of the football coaching staff. Uh, basketball has lost. I believe 12 of the last 13, uh, if I remember correctly, the only win in there being Kennesaw State. Uh, been close in several games for the men's side. Women's side has been lighting it up, um, but have had some struggles with the Iowa Hawkeyes as of late. Got absolutely hosed uh, in Iowa City uh, by the officiating crew, at least in terms of foul disparity. So we'll discuss uh, hoops down the line today. Uh, and then we'll also break down uh, the Big Ten rankings uh, which will be a, at least for the next couple of months, uh, a replacement for 1-2-N-U in the fall semester. So we're going to start, like we always have, uh, on this podcast during the fall semester with the best thing that we saw. But it's been a long time, and we're going to have a lot of data points to choose from here. This is going to be the best thing we saw over break. So this, this is there's a lot. There's a lot of time uh, for you to put something down on. So Landon. Best thing you saw over break. Man, putting me on the spot here. Well, in addition, I'll just say break was much needed. First semester mm. was very hectic. It was nice to spend time with friends, family, that whole song and dance, and really just enjoy spending time at home. In terms of the best thing I saw, um, I'll, I'll go literal with it. I saw Spider-Man, No Way Home, and I very much enjoyed it. I saw it twice uh, over winter break, and it is a fantastic movie. Every bit is advertised, and it was really special for me because it was my first time back in a movie theater hmm. since the pandemic. So just being around the you know familiar sights and smells, the, the popcorn, the you know all of it, the the theater ambiance, it was awesome. And then to boot, it's a fantastic movie, and it was very very. Uh, you know, a lot of unexpected twists and turns. It was great. And to see that twice was awesome. And it was a nice little highlight of my winter break, aside from, you know, the, the holidays and stuff. Um, so I would probably say that one. Um, and then I'll give an honorable mention to OSU winning the Fiesta Bowl because that was so sick. Um, the way that they uh, beat Notre Dame. Uh, great comeback. That was awesome to sit back and watch on New Year's Day. So I, th- those are my two. Those are both good. Uh, I also saw uh, No Way Home. I-, I saw it twice as well. Yes. Uh, it was not my first time in the movie theater uh, since the beginning of the uh, pandemic. I went and saw, oh gosh, what was the movie? And I'm, why am I blanking on that? Because I really, really enjoyed it um, last fall. Um, the time movie was it like going backwards. Dune or no? I've seen Dune. I saw Dune too this year, but I'm talking last year, oh, like all God. the way a year ago. And then it was that time movie again, where like they could go through this um, wall and basically go to another dimension where things were working backwards. I don't know why I'm totally f- forgetting. It's by the same guy who did Inception, uh, the same director. Um, which is crazy because he's literally my favorite director, and I'm totally blanking on his name right now. We'll f- figure that out later on down the line. Uh, but that certainly ranks highly for me. Uh, I think Willem Dafoe's performance as Green Goblin was, was it Tenet? Tenet? Oh, my. Tenet, yes. Okay. Google Christopher Nolan. There you go. There you go. Uh, I don't. Yeah, I don't, Christopher Nolan is literally my favorite director, so I don't know why I was blanking <laughs> on that. But Tenet was awesome. 
Um, that was my first time, but that was over a year ago at this point. So, um, so it wasn't quite the same magic for me in, in terms of those things. I, I think when we discuss Spider-Man No Way Home here at the beginning of this sports podcast, uh, I, I think, you know, to me, the thing that stuck out is that movie was basically entirely fan service, um, but it wasn't bad. Like, that's the thing. Like, a lot of times people look down on fan service, and rightfully so because it's forced. This did not feel that way. Um, and so there's a lot of really, really cool things throughout this movie. Again, I think one of my favorite things in that whole thing was it, it was Willem Dafoe's performance yeah, as Green Goblin. Yeah, really, really good. It's so good. And you can tell he's loving it. It's so over the top. Um, you know, it inspired me to go back and watch some of those original Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movies, and they're hilarious. Like, I absolutely love the hokiness of it. Um, you know, there's certain things about it that haven't aged super well, but that's okay. Like, that's one of the movies that, like, the bad parts about it that could be viewed as poorly done or executed over time actually add to the experience for me. Uh, so, yeah, I really enjoyed that. That definitely ranks pretty highly for me. You know, it, it's tough to really say there are a couple of really good high school basketball games I got to see over over the break, one of which uh, sticks out to me, uh, Ashland, Greenwood, in Omaha Roncalli, that was the two at the time, number one, or actually no, number one in C1 and number three in Class B. A um, couple of guys in Kale Jacobson and Jake Orr going at it. It was really, really incredible. Uh, Roncalli ended up winning it in overtime. That was one of the better games that I've seen this year. Um, so that one really sticks out uh, for me. And then, of course, technically this happened over break, uh, but going to cover Husker Volleyball uh, in Ohio, uh, which, thank you, DN people for uh, DN management for covering that um, trip. All hell. It was really great. It was it was a really really fantastic um, experience for me uh, and, and getting to see you know literally a national stage um, was was incredible. So that definitely is my number one. On that trip is where I saw Spider Man No Way Home for the first time. So segue. God, that was over break, wasn't it? Man, yeah. break was a long time. I kind of, yeah, that was the very first weekend. And yet, it was still two weeks shorter than last year's break. Last year's break was a full two months. God, yeah. I Well, because no fall break was factored into that. Bus. Right. And, and no spring break. Right. But still, man, that break felt like a long time. Because, yeah, that Columbus trip that you guys went on just feels like so long ago. And it's wild to just sit back and think about, wow, if that was that long ago and all that stuff was happening then... And all the stuff that's happened since in Husker Athletics. Right. Oh, boy. there There's much to discuss. <laughs> well, uh, there's been a lot of additions. We'll start, actually, with the football side of things. And I'm, I'm going to get out in front and say we are going to table football discussion until spring ball begins. So, like, at least March uh, here after today's discussion. But there's been some huge, huge shifts uh, in the addition of a, a special teams coordinator in Coach Bush. Uh, of course, an entirely new offensive staff. Uh, you have uh, Mark Whipple as the offensive coordinator. Uh, Coach Rayola added for the offensive line. Mickey Joseph uh, brought on to coach receivers, and he has been doing yeoman's work on the recruiting side. You can see him everywhere, and it's not just his position group. Uh, so that's fantastic to see um, for the Huskers. That was a huge addition for them. Uh, and then... Uh, You've got some transfer additions in the portal, a couple of linemen, a couple of receivers, and then probably most notably two quarterbacks, Casey Thompson, transfer from Texas, and then Chubba Purdy uh, from Florida State, younger brother of Mr. Brock Purdy. It's yeah, a lot. it is. I almost need a timeline, like just remembering when these things happen one after one, but it seems like once the first domino fell, things started to go into place. It, there was a period of time, I will say, is we got into like the early stages of December where I was a bit worried, honestly, at the lack of news that was coming out of one, sta- one stadium drive, frankly, because I, as you kind of sat back and watched all these transfer quarterbacks go off the board and then find new destinations, it kind of felt like Nebraska didn't really have a set plan in place as all these things were happening, uh, which was a bit worrying, but... You know, once the the first domino fell with Joseph, 
I believe, who was first. And then Whipple Correct. came along shortly after. It, it really just started, pieces just began falling into place like rapid fire. I am very, very impressed with what uh, Frost, Scott Frost and Trev Alberts were able to come up with here with essentially their backs against the wall. Like, to be able to, under this much pressure, put together a staff like this, I mean, you know, it's it's to be seen how it all actually will work out. But the right moves were made, I think. Like, getting someone like Mark Whipple, who really, really reinvigorated Pitt football this year. Uh, they were fantastic offensively with Kenny Pickett. They made a New Year's Six Bowl. Uh, they, were, they were awesome. And then to get someone that's so proven uh, as a recruiter and a coach like Mickey Joseph, I mean... Shoot, as we're sitting here on on January twentieth, his protege Jamar Chase is about to play in one of the biggest right. games of his life on Sunday against the Titans after having a fantastic season with another LSU guy, and, Joe Burrow. And that Joe Burrow, the main reason he went to LSU was because, because of Bill Bush, who is now the special teams coordinator, was an analyst, uh, but now been brought on as a special teams coordinator for Nebraska. I mean, and you know. Off topic a bit, but if you're trying to build a staff, picking guys that were around one of the greatest modern college football teams ever is a fantastic way to go about doing it. So, you know, getting a guy like Mickey Joseph that's so proven, such a great recruiter, um, you know, getting into the Casey Thompson stuff, that was a big reason why he ultimately looked at Nebraska as hard as he did was because his dad had that relationship with Mickey Joseph. And then to bring someone on more recently, like like Brian Applewhite, who did a really good job at TCU with their running backs. TCU had a pretty quality rushing offense last year. So And, and then Rayola, who's kind of the quote-unquote wild card of that group, but that's a guy with a lot of high-level you know, coaching experience, was at a great offensive line school in Wisconsin. So, I mean... All the moves, I'd say, are are pretty good considering the circumstances. Uh, and now the ultimate question is, who's going to be running that offense? But in addition to that, the transfers, great stuff too. Uh, Trey Palmer is the one that stands yep. out to me. And, of course, uh, the coldest to ever do it. Other than yeah. It's not a transfer yes. technically because uh, he hadn't yet actually played a collegiate snap. But uh, a lot of good stuff. And they got an OSU offensive lineman. So, cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think... You know, I think you referred to Coach Riola as the the wild card. That's certainly true. Um, I, the thing that's very interesting to me about that move specifically is that's the one that people are, I, I think, most critical of or most suspect of. And I would argue of all of the assistants hired this year, he's under the most pressure coming up next year. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, because given the unproven thing and Nebraska's offensive line, while better, wasn't like great <laughs> last year. It's a unit that that needs a good bit of improve that needs to show a good bit of improvement from this year to next. If Nebraska is to finally, finally, finally make this much anticipated jump from you know, this cesspool of mediocrity, uh, for lack of a better analogy, to like seven wins or eight wins or or maybe even nine wins. Wouldn't that be something? So that's a position that needs to improve, a position, a group that needs to improve and it needs to do so quickly. So I do, I do agree with that, that there's a lot of pressure on the offensive line to deliver right away and therefore uh, Rayola. Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's a big, uh, obviously a huge piece to replace in Cam Jurgens on that offensive line. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you've got raw talent, Bryce Benner, um, to some extent, Teddy Barhoshka, too, comes into play as quote-unquote raw, uh, although, you know, Benner certainly fits that in a, a much better. There's a lot of guys with a lot of physical stats um, that pop off the page, height, weight. Uh, you know, the question is the mechanics. And, and and the mental side, right? Staying on side, uh, for example. Um, so, you know, I, I look at all the skill positions that Nebraska has brought in this year and all, all the transfers, and there's a lot of excitement surrounding that portal. In fact, you look at some of the Husker Twitter accounts out there, the fan accounts, the parody accounts, they're constantly, uh, I think, tweeting out potential starting lineups uh, for the skill position, because you know who's always missing in those tweets? The offensive line. And if the offensive line doesn't work, 
and Casey Thompson, whoever is starting back there, doesn't have time, literally nothing else matters. Yeah, it won't work. I mean, you can get excited about the guys that are going to get thrown the ball, but we've kind of seen this story before here um, with impact transfers and stuff. It doesn't matter if your quarterback's not going to be protected. So, yeah, I would agree. It's it's a group that's that's young, still relatively raw. I mean, you can even see it from, from a bird's eye view that there are multiple, plenty and plenty and plenty of instances, I mean, last season where a lot of the simple stuff came down to technique. It came down to, I think a good bit of it is that mentality point that you made, because when you have young guys that, you know, make a couple mistakes in a row, that the it's easy to get down. I mean, it's just human nature. So yeah, that's a group that needs to deliver, and it's a group that really just needs a little bit of polishing and fine-tuning. Um, and the good news is there's a lot of capable guys that have seen action. So there will be a five. I am kind of I'm kind of worried about how long it'll take to find a starting group. Uh, I'm really curious to see what that looks like come the spring, for sure, because that, that that's definitely something of interest. Talk about the quarterbacks here for a little bit. Right now, five quarterbacks technically on scholarship. Uh, obvious, well, eh, well, never say never, certainly. We've seen guys come and leave almost instantly before. And, in fact, um, one Luke McCaffrey did so at Louisville. He came before the spring and then transferred to Rice immediately after the spring. So not to say that Casey Thompson and Chubba Purdy could not leave uh, following spring ball, but I think most of the eyes turn towards the three other quarterbacks who were already there for Nebraska, your Masker, your Harburg, and your Smothers. Of those three guys, we're just going to exclude Purdy and Thompson and say they're of a, of a mind to stay here no matter what. Do you think they all stay? Probably not. And if someone's going to leave, who do you think it is? I would say definitely I don't want to I don't want to speak definitively, but I would lean towards no. And the reason I say that is because college football and college athletics in general is a business. Like yes, these, you know, student athletes are being rewarded with with scholarships and NIL and the like, um but it it's reciprocal a little bit too. And on that note, you kind of have to understand the pressure that Scott Frost is feeling to win and win right now. And to me, there's no other way to look at bringing in a veteran 23-year-old quarterback like Casey Thompson and a very, very competent quarterback like Chubba Purdy if you didn't think that what you currently had could allow you to win now. Logan Smothers competed very well against Iowa. I mean, he played his ass off. For the circumstances he was in, the hand he was dealt with, he played about as well as anyone could have expected in the circumstances. You know, he ultimately succumbed to another patent in Nebraska collapse, but I would be a little bit more worried about the guys behind him because Casey Thompson should he choose to, has two more years of eligibility remaining. Chubba has, what, three, four? So if that's 1A and 1B, what happens if you're four, right? So if if you find yourself buried on that depth chart, say you're like a Masker or a, a, a Smothers or a Harburg, I don't really know what you're long-term goal is at Nebraska if, you know, the the hierarchy is just going to go from Thompson to Purdy. Like, where does that leave somebody else with people looking to use their remaining college eligibility? So I don't want to speculate on who I think, like, specifically could leave. I definitely do think um, for, you know, especially someone like Logan Smothers, it probably stings a little bit, um, especially with the position he was in last year, but it's a business at the end of the day. And there are other people's multi-million dollar livelihoods that are on the line as well. Do I agree with it all? You know, that's another conversation for another day. But I I think that as of right now, that that's where I stand on the issue. Yeah, I think one of the most interesting combos, at least to me, uh, in this situation, I think is Heinrich Harburg and Mark Whipple. Because you have a guy in Harburg who's drawing – especially with this Whipple hire, um, some Josh Allen 
level comparisons. I've been on that train for a year. Where you, by the where way. you've got a guy who's got some incredible physical intangibles, uh, and now you pair him with a a sage Yoda esque, uh, at least in the way he's he's sort of viewed in some ways. Guy and Mark Whipple uh, over this next off season, and again, you know, the the thought is he probably will not. Uh, being contention for the starting role as long as Casey Thompson is here. But that's something that's certainly intriguing to some people. Do you think there's any truth to that, that that combo of Harburg and Whipple could produce something truly special somewhere down the line two or three years from now? I mean, sure, why not? I mean, if if there's someone in that quarterback room, you had to hold a gun to my head and say that's most likely to stay – I would think that it would be Heinrich Harburg because, I mean, looking at the measurables and looking at what he was able to accomplish in high school, I would think that you would want to keep that guy around and polish him up a little bit to maybe be that guy two or three years down the line. Because I think if there's anyone in that room not named Thompson or Purdy with the highest ceiling, it's probably him. So I would like to think that if there's anyone that Nebraska would be privy to keep it would be him and if there's any offensive coordinator offensive mind that could get the most out of him it would probably be Mark Whipple so I I I think there's some truth to it personally I don't know why um why there wouldn't be I I I think he's in a pretty great situation as the chips currently are, are laid out plus he's got the opportunity as does every quarterback in the room to glean some knowledge off of co- some college football veterans like like Thompson and, and Purdy that have been around the block a little bit. So I, I think that Harburg's in a pretty quality situation. I think that of the three, I would probably be the most shocked to see him leave. And I do think that there's an opportunity there for him to grow a lot with Whipple's tutelage. Yeah, I'd have to agree. And with that, That'll end our football conversation for at least a month or perhaps six weeks, unless something Titanic breaks uh, in that time, which, you know, you never know. Please don't. <laughs> Please don't happen. Uh, no, it, it's it's always nice to, to get back and, and talk about Husker football because, of course, uh, that's the, the breadwinner. And a lot happened, um, yeah. as we kind of thought, uh, but a lot happened. And now things are kind of starting to fall into place a little bit, and now we wait until... Wait for at least a couple weeks to see what happens. Well, not to make too much light of the offseason, because it certainly has been positive, but Nebraska is well on its way to another offseason championship of the world. Yes. Uh, but it, but it, in, in all seriousness, it has been a really good offseason for Scott Frost and company. I think one of the biggest boxes I wanted to check is that he brought in um, some alphas to go along with him, and I, I think he did that. Um, certainly in Mickey Joseph, I think say the same in Mark Whipple. Um there is a lot to actually be positive about here in this offseason. There's been a lot of good moves made by Scott Frost and company. Did somehow, in the summary, forget to mention the departure of Tony Tuioti uh, to Oregon. So that is the one departure from that staff. So the defensive staff is not going to be entirely intact. Uh, they did just shift Mike Dawson's uh, roles a little bit to bring in Bill Bush. Um, so that allowed for that move there. So when we come back, we'll discuss... The Big Ten rankings for college hoops before moving in to Nebraska hoops, both men's and women's. That'll follow after the rankings. You're listening to Scarlet Fever. Welcome back, folks, to Scarlet Fever, and we're actually switching things up on you. We have some breaking news. But I also totally forgot something from earlier in the best thing I saw. And I'm just going to totally trample all over this breaking news with my partisan fanship. Uh, I did my breaking news sound and everything. I know. I ruined it. You you can play it again. I'll wait wait till we do the news. But, uh, yeah, Joe Judge. Joe Judge getting fired. That was (laughs) the best thing that I saw. I reconsidered. That even beat the John Morant two-handed block against the Lakers as a Grizzlies and Giants fan. It was awesome. I'm anyway. Cha- I'm changing mind to Joe Judge's quarterback sneak on third and nine. That also, I mean, <laughs> you could throw that in there. So uh, this is a Joe Judge slandering program. 
Uh, and now we'll actually get to the breaking news. So sorry for the wild mm. diversion. I mean, we just we just careened off the edge and into the abyss of chaos. But yeah. we're gonna bring it back. We're gonna bring it back now. Yeah. Anyways, breaking news. Boop, um, boop, boop. Yes, thank you. There we go. Um, so lovely as we lovely during break news dump from the Nebraska men's basketball program that. Uh, per good old Seamus McKnight, Nebraska men's basketball game at Ohio State postponed. The Nebraska men's basketball game at number 19 Ohio State, scheduled for Saturday, January 22nd in Columbus, Ohio, has been postponed due to health and safety protocols within the Huskers program. Uh, Nebraska fell below the Big Ten Conference's roster minimum with fewer than seven scholarship players available. And per recent scheduling guidelines, um, the Big Ten is going to work with both programs to reschedule the game. Nebraska next has number eight Wisconsin on Tuesday, January 25th at PBA. This is Nebraska's first COVID postponement this season. And right? it comes about a week after last year's nearly month-long COVID postponement. Yeah, woof. Uh, I am really hoping that stuff, something like that doesn't happen again because – Speaking of hectic, the last month and a half of last season's college basketball Nebraska slate was almost like torturous with how frequent yeah. it was basically every other night. So initial thoughts, I'll give mine, I'll pivot to you, Grant, after. Yeah. It's very interesting to me what changed between basically Tuesday morning after Indiana and now Thursday morning. Um... Something had to have occurred. I find that kind of interesting uh, to me personally, just like kind of like a what's going on here sort of thing. The second thing that immediately jumps to mind is that if Nebraska doesn't have enough players to play on Saturday, even with the five-day quarantine now, I have a hard time believing it'll be able to play Wisconsin on Tuesday at home. I think that a very reasonable return date for Nebraska will probably be January 29th against Rutgers, and even that might be a little bit too optimistic. So I do think that with kind of how backloaded January is a little bit, um, the end of January is for Nebraska, I kind of could see this having a bit of long-term ramifications. And it stinks because... With this whole pandemic thing, can be so difficult to evaluate, you know, the team because Nebraska last year was kind of floating along, and then the month-long COVID pause happened. And then I'm like, well, it's unfair to properly evaluate these guys when they're playing every other night. So I'm hoping that it doesn't have too big of an impact where that we can throw any and all like analysis out the window because right. they're just trying to make up a bunch of games. But anyways, yeah, that that that's my official stance. But yeah, no game Saturday. Yeah, it's wild. Uh, very rarely do we get to break news I know. on this podcast. It is, that is rare. That might be like the first time we've I done that. I believe it probably is. And, of course, it's breaking for us, not so for you. I mean, the, the soonest you could be listening to this is, what, Friday morning? So, um, I don't know. Does it go up at midnight? Or yeah, it, yeah I, you, schedule, I schedule it for midnight. You, I mean, you got, if you're really committed, you could get up and listen to us at midnight Thursday to Friday right in there. But uh, – so, I, I it's unfortunate in many ways. Uh, I'm somewhat disappointed because that probably means the Wisconsin game is about to get axed here. Uh, and yeah. So that's um, definitely that that I can say is definitely coming this weekend. But as you think about that, uh, it just depends on how widespread it is and how quickly they caught it. Right. We're sitting here Thursday, January twentieth, um, which means we are approximately five days away from that Wisconsin game. So if they caught it and it hasn't spread enough to enough people in time, now that's going to take a little bit of luck. Uh, it's going to take probably a good clip of luck. Um, they could all, everyone who is sick, could be out of quarantine if they're not showing symptoms by the time the Wisconsin game rolls around. The question is, especially considering, too, you know, they canceled the game today. They could have tested positive on Wednesday or Tuesday. So there's a chance that game still could happen, although it is certainly very likely in doubt. Now, I think the good thing is, compared to a year ago uh, when the Huskers went through this pause late in January, the quarantine timeline has shrunk, and that is going to make things a lot easier uh, in terms of limiting how many games the Huskers are going to miss. 
uh, because instead of a two-week, three-week, four-week pause for everybody on the team getting it, it could turn to a one-week or two-week with that five-day quarantine. So that's a positive yeah. uh, in this as compared to a year ago. The problem is that as these pauses get later in the year, there's less and less dates to find for a makeup. And I don't know how likely the conference is to want to uh, add in a bunch of games like they did a year ago just to force the rest of the year through, especially for a team that currently is winless in conference play. So if they do competitive ballots, if they do try to reschedule, it's going to be for the sake of the Wisconsin's and the Ohio State's, uh, the opponents, rather than Nebraska itself, I think. Um, and, of course, they will never say that out loud. Um, but that'll, that'll probably be what it looks like on the outset. I, I think there's a good shot that this is limited to just Saturday's game against Ohio State and Wisconsin next Tuesday. Of course, it all depends on who's been testing positive and when. Yeah, and I've got some good news um, on the front that, you know, they might not have space. Nebraska has a nice little break at the end of its season. There's a little weak buffer. I don't, I can't remember whether or not the Big Ten intentionally put those in for this reason or not, but from February 28th, Nebraska's second-to-last game of the season is February 28th against Penn State, and then its last game of the season is Sunday, March 6th against Wisconsin. So... Common knowledge to me says that you can slide a game in there um, more than likely. Nebraska also has a um, Sunday game on February 13th against Iowa and then a Friday game February 18th against Maryland. So I would also think that that is another week that Nebraska could slide in a game as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's kind of hard for me to see the Big Ten bending over backwards for Nebraska if this is like more of a sustained outbreak than we originally thought. Yeah, definitely yeah. disappointing though at this point of the season. It, you know, it is. It, it as we get to talk here a little bit, uh, touch on uh, where this team sits as a whole. What we were originally going to talk about, which is the team. Uh, before this broke, you know, it, it's hard to say if there's been progress or not. It, it's interesting to me. I think that's probably the hardest thing uh, as we drift towards conversations that are very, very eerily similar towards the ones that we had in November and late October regarding the football program. But it, it's harder here, I think, to tell if there's been progress, uh, Landon, you know, compared to the football team. Because with the football team, you could see progress on the defensive end, yes. There was a large amount of experience there. They are much older. Uh, they were in very close games and competitive against teams that were much better, at least on paper, than they were. Uh, Ohio State really, really comes to mind uh, for me especially. Uh, but on the flip side, for, for Nebraska ball, it is a very up-and-down night. You know, Some nights you'll be within 10 points of Illinois. Uh, and in large part, it was only a 10-point game because you gave up a 7-0 run in the final three minutes. Um, then other nights, you'll turn around and you'll go to Rutgers, a team that should, talent-wise, compare pretty well with you. Uh, and then Derek Walker gets into foul trouble and things just totally fall apart and you lose by 29 points. So it's hard for me to tell where this team is at because it's so up and down. As much as... Nebraska football annoyed annoyed me this year. I will say this. They were consistent for, you know, everything else. Like, you knew what you were going to get from on a week-in, week-out basis when Nebraska football played on a Saturday. With basketball, I really don't know what I'm going to see. I mean, in some regards, things are kind of the same, but also a little bit different. I mean, the offense just lacks an identity, and because of that, there are different guys that are kind of doing, you know, similar type things on a different, on any given night. There are, I would say, similar type lackadaisical defensive efforts but it's so so much of it is just ebbs and flows and it's never just a consistent sustained stretch of play ever even when nebraska's you know winning games against like kennesaw state or tennessee state like there's always those moments where it's just super uncomfortable for lack of a better word because nebraska no, i think just, that's great i think uncomfortable is a really good word i mean it, it's never because nebraska just goes through stretches of just insanely 
brain dead play. Like there's just no there's no reason or rhyme off rhythm or rhyme offensively. Defensively, you know, just the the OA defense is right. in, in in full effect. So, I mean, that's the thing to me that's so worrying is because it's so uncomfortable and uneasy because you never really know what's going to happen. And to me, if you're in year three and you're zero and eight in conference play, I mean. I really enjoy Fred Hoiberg as a coach. I, I think too. he's an incredible basketball mind. But th- something has to be going on because there's no reason why this should be happening right now. It, it, it it's, it's a head-scratcher. And, I mean, if you look at Nebraska's schedule, Ken Palm has them losing every single game remaining. Only a couple of those are deci- are you know projected to be decided by three points or less. I mean... We very, very well could be looking at a Nebraska season here that is right on par, as crazy as it is to say, with 2020 and 2021, and right. and, and potentially even a downgrade from 2021. You know, Nebraska, even after that insane COVID pause when they were playing back-to-back days and every other day, Nebraska, after starting 0-9, managed to rip off three conference wins. I don't know if I can see that right now for this team, as tough as that is to say. I think that Nebraska's – I'm confident that they'll probably get one or two, but I think that that might be the ceiling right now given what we've seen. And it's really tough to stare another single-digit um, single win season in the face. I mean – after a certain point, on paper, this was far and away Nebraska's best team under under Hoiberg. And the fact that these guys might only finish with one or two more wins than the roster that Fred Hoiberg assembled in three months with guys like Deshaun Burke, Kevin Cross, Cam Mack, Gervais Green, Hanif Cheatham, Monte Cavos, and Avon. Like, the fact that these this current Nebraska team with the first five-star in program history might only finish with one more overall win than those guys who were basically just all supposed to be place fillers until a system could be brought into place. I mean, I, I've covered, you know, every year of, of Hoiberg's tenure, and to think about that and to really just put that thought into my head is just mind-blowing to me and, and really sad yeah it's certainly been uh under- and i'm off my soapbox right i mean but it, i mean you're right they've underperformed greatly uh, and i think nobody recognizes that more than hoiberg you know it's interesting i i like him a lot as a coach i've really really enjoyed listening to him talk this season um we've seen him hit a lot of different places and and, and to be honest just from a media perspective you know we're both on this beat and you know the the fact that he is able to consistently come out there and talk, um, and no matter what question he asks, he very very rarely. There's actually one time, and that was the most recent game that I thought he was short with an answer, um, or showed any frustration. Um, and of course, it wasn't towards the reporter asking the question. So you know, I, I've been very very appreciative of how he's um, been in regards to the media during this time. Uh, it's just so incredibly mind-boggling that this team is in this position it currently is in. Uh, and this COVID pause is not going to help. Um, so, you know, and the one the one thing that they said they were going to – they were very – you know, Coach Hoiberg was really excited to get these days of practice. They were going to get these three days of practice. Tuesday they had off. It was a mandatory off day uh, for their turn to the second semester here at UNL, but they had – three days of practice before Ohio State to get things done. And our colleague uh, Jimmy Watkins from the Ohio World Herald asked him, what are they going to work on? Late game execution. That's, it was literally a one-word uh, answer. Jimmy asked a follow-up and said, how much uh, are you going to work on it? And he said, and Fred said, a lot. That, that was it. That's the only time he's ever been short, by the way. And now that opportunity is, is gone, and there's going to be even less practice days on the schedule. So that is fascinating to me um, on, on a whole nother level where this team, and Trey McGowan spoke about it too, 
You're not going to have this late-game execution ability. Uh, he's talked about some issues with that. What happens if Trey McGowan is one of the people who's tested positive? One of the things that we've talked about um, with his return, and he asked about limited minutes, why? He doesn't have the conditioning yet um, from just recovering from that foot injury. Oh, well, God. maybe you add COVID in there. That's that's an, that's an unpleasant thought to think right? about. So that would be another thing on top of that, another thing delaying his return uh, potentially further. Now, hopefully he has not tested positive for it. Nobody knows who has and nobody will. Uh, but that's something to think about too. So, you know, this probably, and you, you know, arguably things could not be worse. Um, winless in conference play it doesn't seem to matter who it's against it just they just can't seem to quite get it done but it this is going to make things worse uh, and it's going to be hard to find some positives in this uh, for the team and it couldn't come at a worse time it really could not come at a worse time Hoiberg's first Nebraska team was so interestingly not good at so many things he shot 60% from the free throw. It just blows my mind that we're sitting here in year three with these same discussions. Like, it's just crazy to me. I, I can't stop just thinking about it. And I know I might, like, be ranty here again, but, I mean, just look at Iowa State this year. Right. Iowa State is kind of hitting a little bit of a wall in, in Big 12 play, and that's fine. But they were ranked as high as fifth this year. Iowa State went... I would say through a lot of the same things that Nebraska went through last year. Iowa State had a lot of COVID, and they had a lot of other issues, and they completely bottomed out. Iowa State went like 0-whatever in the Big 12 last year. They lost like every single game. They were terrible. And new coach, you bring in a bunch of transfers and assemble a roster in basically like four or five months which with a bunch of like, for lack of a better word, misfit toys from other programs – and look at what they've been able to accomplish. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we're sitting here with a bunch of talented players, likable guys, I think. I mean, even ob- ob- objectivity aside, like, these guys are all, you know, uh, rootable for characters. It's just so in- insane that this hasn't been figured out. And you're right about timing because it does come at a bad time. You still have Iowa twice on your schedule. You yep. still have Wisconsin twice on your schedule. You still have a Northwestern team twice on your schedule and a Northwestern team that is scratching and clawing for an at-large NCAA tournament berth. So, yeah, the timing is completely and utterly awful. And, man, it's tough. But, you know, I there are so many more potential ramifications because you have no idea what's going to happen next. Fred Hoiberg and company get dealt a poor hand once again, now let's shift our conversation to something different still on the basketball court. Let's talk a little Nebraska women's hoops here. And they've done a really, really good job here as of late. Now, they've struggled a couple of times against Iowa. Uh, watched a good majority of that game on Sunday. And my goodness, the foul disparity, my friends. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Uh, it was something else. Now, some of that, I, I okay, this may draw some amount of hate, but some of those fouls, I I do think Nebraska did commit more fouls. Like, on paper, I think Nebraska did commit more fouls. Uh, But, I mean, my God. Come on, guys. Like, Iowa also was committing fouls. I didn't watch it. 28-7. And, God, that's awesome to just... Here's the other thing, too. No Sam Hybe for that game. No, if I remember correctly... Jazz Shelley for that game either. And they were still in it down to the end. Yeah. I mean, it says something that Nebraska was was so shorthanded and able. I mean, I, I think, I, I believe I saw it on Twitter. I think Jazz Shelley tweeted something about it. I think she had COVID. I think that's why yes. she wasn't there. Um, and Iowa's really good. Like, Iowa's been, you know, I, I follow a couple folks in, in Iowa media on Twitter. So even though I'm not able to, like, sit down and watch a lot of, like, women's basketball stuff, Specifically, I kind of know like what Iowa's going through a little bit right now. Iowa's a team that will probably be hitting its peak um, in February and March, and Iowa's good. It's just funny to me to to sit and look at the the just skin and bones box score because like like <laughs> Caitlin Caitlin Clark or James Harden, twelve for twelve at the line, twelve free throws is a lot. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, credit to, I mean, Nebraska showing fight. Alexis Markowski, mm. I do know, was awesome in the Iowa game. Looking at her numbers, 27, that's that's nuts. Yeah, um, well, and then more importantly, 6 of 7 from three-point range. Yeah, it's a credit to the depth. It's something that we've been talking about with this team all year, and what I think will be able to benefit it down the line as we get into Big Ten play, as we get into, you know, maybe pushing for tournament stuff, NCAA stuff. Nebraska's got a lot. Nebraska can roll 10, 12 deep on any given night. That's always so advantageous. And one of the reasons why, like, you look at college, on, on the men's side, you look at teams like Florida State. And one of the reasons why Leonard Hamil- Hamilton has been able to be so successful there for so long is because he operates a super deep bench. And he has so many players capable of impacting the game uh, and rolls 11, 12 guys a night. You know, Amy Williams is definitely capable of doing that with her team, and we've seen it so far this year. And I think that that's just really awesome because um, I, I always say that there's never, um, never, there's no such thing as having a, a really deep bench and being able to play a lot of different players. So the fact that you know Nebraska's had players able to step up in, in tough spots has been really cool to see. Yeah, Alexis Markowski now a, a four-time Big Ten Freshman of the Week. Double figures in seven of the last eight games for the Huskers. Now, they have lost uh, four of their last five, uh, but it was a really, really tough stretch where you get, at the time, uh, number eight Michigan, who they defeated handily here uh, in Lincoln. Uh, Then they get number 22 Iowa, then number six Indiana, and then Iowa again. Now, they were in every single one of those games, only lose to Indiana by seven points, Um, you know, that game, you spent a majority or a good part of the last part of the game without Sam Ivey, who suffered that shoulder injury in that game. Ivey has really been the closer for this team this year. She was a big part of why they were able to defeat Minnesota 70 to 67 earlier in the year. Huge fourth quarter for her there. Uh, so she's not available for the Iowa game or the last part of the Indiana game. Jazz Shelley also out. So, arguably, those are two of your best players. But then again, with the way Alexis Murkowski has been playing here as of late, for the season she averages 11 points a game, six rebounds. Uh, she, well, she 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 could be coming up there for the best player conversation on this team. She's certainly one of the most impactful. Yeah, a, I mean, <laughs> it's that's kind of part of it. It's you know, Murkowski really did not see much action at the beginning of the year, and then I think Amy Williams kind of started to realize just exactly what she had in her. Um, and you know, you, you see it as the season progresses. I think that it's going to be really hard to leave her out of the starting five um, down the stretch here. And you know, you go back to players like Hybe and Jazz Shelley, who I think it's fair to say has been a little bit off as of recent. Um, Nebraska has multiple players capable of just like taking over and being, you know. The alpha down the stretch, which mm, is right. which is great. That's awesome. Yeah, and that was one of the things the other a year ago too. Depth was an issue, I think. At times, yes, yes, it was. And this year, it really has not been. Uh, you have three very capable post players. Um, you have plenty of guards as well. Uh, so I, I mean, I, I I think this team is is set up in a, in, a, in a pretty good position uh, down the stretch. Yes, they've taken some lumps here. Uh, in recent days with, again, losing four of those last five games. But in those two games against Iowa, if you look at the box score in the first one in Lincoln, that one Iowa won 95-86, Hawkeye shot 61% from the field, 57% from three. Nebraska shot 39 and 26% in those two categories. And then you look at the second Iowa game, uh, again, Nebraska down Jazz Shelley and Sam Hybe in that action, uh, two of your top scorers there. Huskers lose by 10, 93-83 in Iowa City. That one is a little bit closer, but Iowa still shot 49% from the field to Nebraska's 46%. Huskers did win the three-point shooting category, 46-36%, to with 14 made threes to Iowa's four. But, again, shorthanded in that situation. And then the free throw disparity is the difference in the game, where Iowa shoots 91%, Nebraska 62%. But here's the breakdown. 31 for 34 at the line for Iowa. 5 for 8 for Nebraska. Yeah. I mean, that 34 to 8 free throw dis- disparity, that is something else. So, um, not to complain too much about the officials, but to complain too much about the officials. Uh, <laughs> and and as we you know leave that game behind, Nebraska's had some things go n- not their way in this stretch. 
uh, and has been shorthanded for some of it too. Yeah, I was. I've been looking at for the last ten or so minutes, uh, doing a little bit of side digging. Uh, the schedule lightens up a bit, which I think is a really good thing to note um, down the stretch here. Uh, you've got Ohio State, who's a team. Uh, the the biggest, like most imposing stretch, in my opinion, remaining on Nebraska's schedule is uh, the second week in February. It's at Maryland, at Ohio State home against Indiana. Those are three. Uh, Ohio State's on the outside looking into the most recent AP poll, but that's going to tell us a heck of a lot about where Nebraska could be going um, at this point in its season. I'm really, really looking forward. Um, and and shoot, I oh, it's Valentine's Day. Dang it. But I was going to say that that Indiana game might be one that I kind of want to go just check out as a fan because that's going to be a great game. Right. No, I think there's going to be a there's going to be a good amount of people I think at that game. Yeah. Even though holiday aside. Um also, can't forget this, Michael Caton. Uh she's the only senior on this team. Yeah. That's, Sam Hybe's a that's junior. That's scary to think Bella about. Bella Craven's too. a junior, Jazz Shelley a sophomore, Ashley Scoggin a sophomore. And then, of course, you have huge freshman uh, contributors in Allison Widener, um, Annika Stewart, uh, and Ruby Porter gets in on some action from time to time, and, of course, Alexis Murkowski, so, and, and Kendall Coley, too. So the, this team is going to retain pretty much the entirety of its production heading into next year. So in, in many ways, whatever they can achieve this year, and, of course, nobody's looking ahead to next year. I don't, I don't think... Coach Williams is looking ahead to next year just yet, but what they can do this year is just a cherry on top, I think, compared to what they should be capable of in 2022-23. So that's going to wrap up our hoops discussion for uh, Nebraska. We're going to get into one final segment here, and we're going to break down the Big Ten rankings this week for men's hoops. So we're going to get into that next as we wrap up Scarlet Fever here on opening semester week. segment here on Scarlet Fever. So glad you joined us on our first episode back from break. And we're going to do something a little bit new. We're placing 1-2-N-U. Of course, no college football here. So we're going to give you a look uh, at the Big Ten Power Rankings. This comes out each week. I write it for uh, the Daily Nebraskan. You can find it at dailynebraskan.com. It comes out each Thursday. And we're going to run them down for you here quickly. And then Landon and I will discuss a little bit as we round out the episode. So, number one, the Wisconsin Badgers come in at 14-2, and 5-1 in Big Ten play. Purdue Boilermakers, number two at 15-2, and two, came up, coming off a big win uh, over Illinois on Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Illinois checks in at number three after falling in double overtime to those very same Boilermakers. Michigan State, number four, uh, previously the first team in the Big Ten, suffered a loss at home toward, to Northwestern. So an upset there. Ohio State falls from four to five. Uh, it's again really tough to gauge where this team is at due to their COVID-19 pause. Iowa stays at number six, although uh, would have dropped them a little bit further uh, in light of this recent loss to Rutgers. Indiana number seven, previously ranked number 10, 13 and four overall. Those seven teams are all projected by Joe Lenardi of ESPN to reach the NCAA tournament. Number eight, Northwestern, nine and six. They've been close as of late. Number nine, Penn State. They've climbed up there. Uh, they have been, of course, much maligned in the last few weeks, and now they're starting to make some hay. And then Rutgers at number 10. Again, they would climb a little bit. Again, this was written prior to the Iowa victory, or rather Rutgers victory over Iowa. Minnesota is number 11, Michigan number 12 after trouncing Maryland, Maryland at number 13, and then Nebraska alone in the basement at number 14, winless in conference play. Woo! Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, you're doing a good job with these because I, I think that all of this is, is pretty valid right now. Um, I mean, just going through, uh, Wisconsin I think is probably a deserving number one. 
uh, especially given the, the head-to-head victory over Purdue at Mackey. Yes. Uh, the thing I really like about Wisconsin and why I'm really, really bummed that we might not be able to see them on Tuesday at PBA is that Wisconsin is kind of like proving to be a little bit more than just Johnny Davis. Right. I am very happy because Johnny Davis is a sophomore now, yes? Yes, correct. Uh, I have kind of been – I've, I've been a fan of his since he was a freshman. I watched Wisconsin play. I knew that – this that he had, like, special potential. So patting myself on the back because to see him explode this year has been really cool. Uh, But they've become a lot more than him. Like, Brad Davison in his one billionth year of college is still, like, a really capable and really annoying um, guard. Guys like Tyler Wall have really upped their scoring production. And then it's been cool to see Omaha's own Chucky Hepburn. Mm. He had a great game uh, against Northwestern. What was that on Tuesday night? Yep, uh, at he, the half court. And he had the half court buzzer reader to end the first half. He played really well. Wisconsin's really good. Wisconsin has a huge test on Friday against mm. Michigan State. That's yeah, going to be a, for that. a get your get your popcorn out. A lot of good games in the And, and you know, Chucky, and I'm disappointed that we don't get to see him make his return to Lincoln here at least this week. I know yeah. they'll hopefully reschedule that game. Uh, but, you know, I, I think the thing about Chucky that's interesting to me, he is literally the definition of a guy who does things that doesn't show up, that usually don't show up in a box score. Yeah. Like, literally his picture needs to be there in Merriam-Webster, like <laughs> right next to that definition, exp- explanation. Because, I mean, that's that's what he does. And he's an incredible defender, uh, I think. Um, he'll do clutch things like that half-court shot. Uh, against Northwestern, and again, I, I think that the, the his defensive ability is one of my favorite things about him, and it's because doing stuff like that is hard to do. That takes effort, that takes character, uh, and hard work, and he has become a very, very solid defender, not only on guards, but against guys in situations where he's a little bit undersized. Yeah. Uh, he can produce there, too. So I really like that piece for them. And he doesn't have to produce offensively right now because Johnny Davis is there, so is Brad Davison, and plenty of posts uh, as well, like Tyler Wall. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with that, and Wisconsin is a pretty balanced. Um, you know, they've got a lot of different guys capable of making plays on any given night. So, Badgers are scary. The next thing I wanted to ask you about is, as we record this on Thursday, there is a monumental game tonight in, mm. in the Big Ten yes. between Purdue and Indiana. Purdue is ranked second in your power rankings. Indiana is seventh. How do you see that shaking out? And then what are the potential ramifications as you analyze the Big Ten uh, based on the result. Yeah, it's interesting because this is Indiana's moment, right? This is Indiana's chance to prove that their 13 wins, even if they're against some lesser opponents, uh, are not necessarily an indicator of how good this team is. If this team picks up a win against Purdue, even though it's at home, it would be absolutely momentous for their confidence and for everything going forward. And so, and likewise, on the flip side, if Purdue falls in this game, that could really dampen some of the high from defeating uh, Illinois on the road on Monday. So, you know, this game has a lot of ramifications for both of these teams. Now, it's early in the year, and there's plenty of time still to recover from whatever happens. Um, but it's huge for, for I, I think, for Indiana. And I would say all the pressure is probably on the Hoosiers in this situation where they're playing host to a top-10 team. The top ten team that that's coming to town, um, kind of big brother a little bit too. Right. I think it's been I, I think it's been twenty sixteen was maybe the last time that Indiana beat Purdue. So, yeah, that and immensely yeah. confident, and, and so it's time for Indiana to say that they belong. Can they do it? I don't know. And the pressure is going to be on them, I think, and not Purdue. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you, especially because Indiana wasn't super convincing against Nebraska on Monday. Right. Uh, they kind of, I don't know, it, that was just a weird game. They let Nebraska hang around for a while. Um, but yeah, that is going to be a really good game. Tonight, Thursday, this is a fantastic day of college basketball. Um, bummer that the DN's publishing schedule is what it is. Because I know. <laughs> after tomorrow, it would be fun to talk shop a little bit. Um, moving a little bit further down this list, um, Iowa. Mm. Woof. Yeah. <laughs> Iowa at six. Um, what happens to Iowa now after 
not only a loss at Rutgers, but a loss in which Iowa scores 46 points. Iowa, that's like half of Iowa's like points per game season average. I think right. Iowa averaged like averages like 80 something points per game. Rutgers kind of out physical them a little bit at the rack and you know you can complain all you want about that late foul call like sure yeah probably not it was a little bit touchy and that's not something you can call I, I watched most of this game especially in the second half you probably can't make that little touchy foul call with like one second left or whatever but Iowa was shot the ball so badly I mean six of 27 from three-point range. Jordan Bohannon was two of ten. I mean, if Iowa just makes its shots and even has, like, a C-minus game offensively, it should have no problem with Rutgers. Rutgers is at its best when it mucks the game up and it makes things really grimy and physical and blue-collar, and Iowa kind of fell into the trap a little bit and played exactly how Rutgers wanted it to. So I'm curious now, um, because Iowa's kind of one of those teams in the middle of the pack a little bit, I'm curious as to what you think um, Iowa's So I think it's a symptom of two things, right? Uh, Iowa, you have a situation where it's a shooting team, and there are going to be nights where the ball does not go into the hoop. I mean, it's just that's going to be the case, right? Keegan Murray only had 13 points. He was the leading scorer for Iowa. Yeah. That, that's a red flag, right? A guy who averages 20 a game. Um, so the, I think some of it is that. You know, there's a meme. i got to share it with you later that one of my friends sends all the time. It's the Fran McCaffrey DEFCON meter. Oh, yeah. I've yeah. seen that one. That was, yeah. that's, a great, that's a great meme. I know. Well, he's been like at like an – Whatever, what second high, probably the second highest rating. Yeah. I think probably for the last two or three games now, Iowa and the officials have been like butting heads for a while. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of been interesting too. Here's the thing: Rutgers is sneaky good. I think Rutgers has a talented roster and is capable of beating most of these teams in the conference. Well, they've done it to Purdue already this year. And call it the rack, call it whatever, call it Jersey Mike's Arena, which is I refuse to acknowledge Jersey Mike's Arena. <sighs> it's the rack. I have to agree. It's the rack. Uh, it's hard to win there. It is really hard to win there. And Iowa found that out last night. Yeah. I I love watching Rutgers at, at home. They're they're fantastic. Um, One of the things that, you know – I find it interesting, middle of the pack here is is Northwestern because that's a team that Nebraska still has to play twice. Um, you know, National College basketball analyst John Rothstein famously said over the offseason that if Northwestern didn't, you know, make it to the NCAA tournament and win a game, he would have an, an open bar um, in Chicago on him. Uh, so I'm curious as to how you project um, the Wildcats and, you know, if you think that they – just might have missed out on an opportunity against Wisconsin at home because, you know, the Wildcats' next four games are very, very difficult. It's at Purdue this weekend, it's at Michigan, and it's home against Illinois. So just curious as to what your thoughts were on Northwestern. Yeah, Northwestern is also a team that's sort of underperformed. Uh, they've been very, very close in quite a few games this year. Uh, they're fun to watch. They've got a great name in Boo Booey. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, it's it, it's a team that I think Nebraska is capable of beating, and they're also capable of losing by 10 to 15, too. Uh, and, and it's interesting for Nebraska in a situation where, you know, not to say the Huskers aren't desperate, um, but the chance of a postseason berth is pretty much nil unless they happen to go on a history-defining run <laughs> and win the Big Ten tournament. Yeah. Um, Northwestern, on the other hand, very well could be playing for a spot depending on how they go down the line here. So they're going to be playing with some urgency in these two games. So Yeah, that's why I that's think something it's all to watch. more dangerous for Nebraska. Right. It's funny because Northwestern's resume is awful. Like, Northwestern has not – the one win they have over a Ken Palm top 90 team is Michigan State. Everyone else falls below. It, it – they're, it'll be hungry against Nebraska because their non-conference schedule was so putrid. I mean, Eastern Illinois is one of the worst teams in Division One basketball. High Point, New Orleans, Fairleigh Dickinson, all teams ranked below 260 in Ken Palm. Georgia is one of the worst Power Six teams. Uh, Northwestern has went over them. Maryland is 95th. 
Um, they've they've been also dealt with all sorts of bad cards this year. Um, but yeah, uh, the Wildcats are an interesting case. And the last one I want to get to is Michigan. Mm. Michigan. I agree with your assessment of them right now that they probably are the 12th best team in the Big Ten. But what the heck has happened to Michigan? It's all it's it's mind boggling to me that a team with that much talent that made what was it the Elite Eight last year, right, uh, has just completely fallen off a cliff with a team that's basically similar in terms of talent level. They're fat. What, they're interesting. What I, the heck I don't understand. To yeah, I agree. Michigan. I agree. I don't understand. Uh, you have the weird loss to UCF. I mean, by fourteen points. UCF's um, pretty good, and, and that was on the road. Um, so you can give them that, but I mean the loss to Minnesota, which at the time that was bad. That, that was good. really bad. like it was like oh Minnesota's a team that's red hot, you know. Still, um, but it was not a good loss to where this team is supposed to be, and then you get trounced by North Carolina at the beginning of the year. Of course, you know what I've talked about in the piece, and again you can go and read it uh, at thedailynebraskan.com, but. This the win over Nebraska in many ways was a false flag, right? They beat the living daylights out of Nebraska at PBA at one hundred two sixty seven, yeah. and then proceeded following that to lose four of their next five, uh, and so they get the win against Maryland the other day. You know it, that kind of helps. I mean, they I did not expect them to do what they did to Maryland, um, and so maybe after all this time off, things can um, sort of regress back to where this team should be talent wise. But they're arguably one of the most disappointing teams in the Big Ten this year. Um, and they're going to have a packed schedule down the stretch. I mean, pretty much everybody does yeah. in this conference. But So that's going to do it for us here on Scarlet Fever. And uh, so glad you could join us for the return. We went a little bit longer than we usually did on this episode, but we had plenty to talk about. So we talked about the additions uh, to Nebraska's coaching staff and roster on the football side. We talked Husker men's hoops, and we talked women's hoops as well. Finally, we wrap things up here in this segment with the rankings, and we'll be back with you next week to talk everything in Nebraska athletics. Don't forget to give Landon Wirt a follow at Landon Wirt, L-A-N-D-O-N-W-I-R-T, or me at Hanson15 underscore Hanson, H-A-N-S-E-N. This is a daily Nebraskan podcast at Daily NEB and at D-N Sports. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you next week on Scarlet Fever.